This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dafrin Johan and alongside me, Shrat Kutin. You're listening to The East is Green, a mini-series where we bring you stories from the east coast of Peninsula Malaysia, also known as the Malay Heartland, in hopes of painting a more nuanced picture of its people, culture and politics. On today's episode, we are going to be introducing you to something rather fascinating, which is the DHPP, which is Dewan Himpunan Penyokong Pass. If you'd like to send us your thoughts, you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFF. Radio. So much like you know, other political parties have women's wings, they have youth wings, and and so on and so forth. Um, DHPP is essentially passes non-Muslim wing. Yeah, so what we understand is the idea was first mooted in the 50s, but mm-hmm. it was only until uh, 2003 that uh, PASS formalizes in terms of this uh, supporters club, right? And uh, it also marked a transition in terms of the messaging for PASS. Uh, Tokguru Nick Aziz, who was then uh, the head of PASS and also chief minister, pushed the line of PASS for all. So mm. that became a tagline of the party. Right. So PASS over the years has had a rather inconsistent and perhaps discordant relationship with non-Muslims over the years, right? Um, on the one hand, they talk about how non-Muslims have nothing to fear about, um, their willingness to work together and so on and so forth. On the other hand, they do um, tend to antagonize non-Muslims sometimes with some of their rhetoric um, and actions, um, especially over the past decade. And right now, we find ourselves in a position where the country is very polarized. Um, the, um, I think Dr. Bridget Welch um, painted the results of G15 as the most ethnically divided elections in, in history. Um, I think Perikata National right now has about 0 to 5% um, support among the non-Malays, while Pakatan Harapan has only 10 to 15% support among the Malays. So I guess the question is, um, why would any non-Muslim not just support, but outright join an Islamist party? That's I, I find that quite fascinating. What's the role of non-Muslims in a party like PAS? So on our trip to Trungano, we met up with Dr. Bali Chandran Gopal Krishnan, who is the special, who was the special advisor of non-Muslim affairs to the Trunganu MB and a member of DHPP. He's also been with PAS for 17 years. So together with our colleague Alia Zafri, we started a conversation by asking him about his role as the special advisor of non-Muslim affairs. Thank you so much uh, for giving me this, uh, this privilege to be with you all and to share whatever I can share from my experience and my uh, tenure with the MB's office. Um, okay, uh, my role as special advisor or, or special officer for the MB of Trunganu on non-Muslim affairs is to actually um, uh, consult and advise the MB on matters pertaining to culture, religion, and all that is related to non-Muslims, so that we are aware, because uh, past has always been seen as not so non-Muslim friendly and things like that, so we are here to actually put that and to actually advise the MB of how it should be done, you know, how, what, are, what, are, what, what is our do's and don'ts, things like that, so that we'll be able to have an understanding that the mutual respect to, to go on. Basically, that's, that's, about, that's about my main role. Apart from that, we also handle all the complaints and uh, situations, uh, matters pertaining to in, you know, Muslim affairs, pertaining to license applications, the policies of the, of the, of the government, you know, when it comes to closing the uh, gambling uh, shops, uh, you know, controlling liquor, and of course, uh, segregating the sexes. So all these are part of how we need to explain to the public as why we have come 
to that and what is the uh, kind of consequences that will follow. So basically that's what I, I do. It's more of a very uh, uh, consultative uh, approach in uh, resolving issues. Dr. Bala, can you talk to us about some of the primary concerns that are specific to non-Muslims over here? Actually, non-Muslims over here, the dynamics are different because we are only about 3%. And uh, out of three percent, we are only uh, the Chinese makes about two point five percent, and the Indians zero. So the dynamics are different. But what is uh, most importantly, we want to ensure that we, although we are a small uh, percentage, but we have the rights to do every non-Muslim can do. That is, uh, to ensure that they, they can go on practicing their religion, uh, practicing their, 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 you know, their, their, their what we call um, uh, events of their religion, practicing their, their, the cultural aspect of the religion. So we want to ensure that that goes on, so that there'll be no uh, such thing. That just because we are small, we are neglected. You know, actually, if, even if they want neglected, there's nothing much we can do, because we're such a small kind of, you know. But they have, the very fact that they've appointed me is their social seriousness in trying to find out where we can you know, improve and where we have uh, you know, things for us to uh, look and see and see where, uh, where we can improve things and where our, uh, our, our weaknesses, where is the strength being. So basically that's how uh, it is. So we don't have major problems here because uh, issues, as you say, when you talk about issues pertaining to this, we're coming to about, uh, we talk about the, the gambling uh, then that will be closed up, controlling of liquor, and the segregation of unisex uh, saloon and all that, which I think uh, we, the non-Muslims, are beginning to learn how to be comfortable in this uncomfortable environment. Because at the end of the day, all this is actually not affecting us, because 97% of them are Muslims here. You know, so it is not so much of a of uh, something that uh, is much of a concern. Of course, the outside there, they'll come and start bombarding what is happening. What, actually, as far as we are concerned, we have, don't have that problem at all. Right. Yeah. So as I understand it, PAS has been the state government only three times since independence. Yes. Uh, and uh, so far, only one term each in the 50s. Uh, and then, of course, in 1999. Yeah, uh, and then they lost it uh, in 2004. Correct. And then, of course, at this most recent time. So for the most part, it was Barisa National, yes. which includes the component parties yes. The MIC and correct, MCA. Correct, correct. So within the structure of Barisan National, there is in fact some check and balances and me mechanisms. For past, there isn't, right? So is your role really a recognition that past as a party, because it's not in a coalition until recently, uh, doesn't have those other voices? Is that what it's, what's happening? You know, they've been in, in, embedded with that 60 years of being you know, a, a Muslim party. And I think they have realized that to govern the state of the government, the country, they must be, uh, they, they should be very inclusive. You know, so that, uh, this could be a role model for them to see where we've gone wrong, what are the issues that is, uh, you know, that whatever has been highlighted here, uh, the, the kind of sound is heard there. You know, so whether that is, so that's how we need to improve as well. Because uh, through, we are only an associate member in past. We are not, uh, uh, because to be a full member, you have to be a Muslim. That is the that is the the, the, the constitution of Paso. For us, we understand our voices are heard. Uh, we can talk in the in the muktamas, telling our problems and issues. And uh, the only thing we don't have the right to vote. And I and we believe that that is not an issue for us. For us, uh, some of the things we know, even if you have the right to vote, if you are not being heard, it's, it's, it's pointless either. So we believe it is that we work on the structure of the constitution. So we are respected. Yes, if not, they would not have appointed me. I mean, for me, it's a very simple thing. Like, we have also a senator and, uh, and, and the HPP, you know, the, the, the chief of the 
Devan Impunam Prokong Pass. So we have been like, I've been in some 17 years in Pass. I know there are a lot of things. Uh, I mean, we are not a perfect human uh, party. I, I know, we, are, we have our shortcomings, but I think we should sit and consult work together and see how we can improve and move on. Uh, without uh, sort of like compromising our values and compromising our, our, our culture and our belief. Uh, that's what we've been doing. So I'm, actually, I'm very comfortable with them. If not, I would not have been actually sitting and talking. But I'm quite, very, I can actually sit and approach them, talk to them. Um, of course, it is not easy to change a mindset that has been so long embedded as a 97% Muslim party, you know? And, but they, they, when changes happen, there's a lot of opposition comes in. It's always been ridiculed in the beginning, you know, before it is recognized. So these are the process that we are going through. But uh, I believe uh, at the end of the day, if, uh, if um, they want to talk about uh, Islam being fair and uh, being peaceful, then it is, uh, it is, it is uh, mandatory for them to actually look into things very seriously. If you don't mind me asking a personal question, right? Because it's, it, for, for people who are not familiar with the, the non-Muslim wing of PAS and all, it may come off as a little bit like perhaps unorthodox Correct. to see like, what is this, uh, you know, Dr. Bala, this Indian man, doing in pass. So why pass? What was it about the party that made you go, I want to join this party? It is very simple. When, when I, I am a reluctant politician, I want to ensure that I need a platform for me to do some work. And my uh, aspiration is to have a fair, inclusive and a united society. That's my aspiration. And when I see that for me to play a role in, in building that, I need to have a party that as guarantee that they are fair, they're inclusive. And I see all the parties have got their own constitution and things like that, but PAS is governed by what is known as their religion. See, they always believe that, uh, I, I, I always, uh, a lot of them believe that uh, religion and uh, politics should not be together. I'm very, very uh, clear about that. But I always say, religion must be a guiding force to a politician to ensure that you be a good human being, you'll become a, 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 a leader with integrity and, and a good thing. So if not, we, we believe it will just end up that uh, nobody will be bothered of what is going to happen. They feel they become God. You know what I mean or not? When, you, when, when the leaders become God themselves, then we're going to have a big problem. So I believe in past, the constitution is based on the Quran. So they have to actually abide by the teachings of the Quran. And that is why I took it upon myself to do my diploma and certificate in Islamic studies, to ensure that I know what I'm talking about, number one, and to also uh, understand when I talk to them what I'm talking about. You know, so that if you don't do what the Quran says, then we'll have to just say, nothing much we can do, but you have to consult with God. And that is that conviction I have, that I can have something to really sit and talk. I cannot have this in other parties, I believe. Because they don't have the conviction. I always say, you want to you can jawab lah. Because I've got a stand, a guarantee to say that I can put something there and work on. So I believe, for me, if I want to bring about, for them to understand us, we have to be in them. We cannot be talking on the outside. We have to go inside there, sit with them, try to make them understand, try to see uh, their point as well as ask them to see our point, and then we work out things like that. If you are going to from the outside and start knocking, then it's not going to be. And I always believe to resolve issues pertaining to religion, it must be a consultative approach, never a confrontational one. Today I can just sit with Tuan Guru and say, Tuan Guru, ini cara kita, itu cara you, 
you have to understand that. So he, they, I mean, they also, they, I mean, they are not uh, perfect human beings. We all have a shortcomings, anyone for that matter. So we'll have to actually tell them the way you speak is very important. The way you, you, you see, there was a lot of issues on, on uh, his past uh, anti-non-Malay anti party. A lot of issues on that. I say you cannot take anti-non-Malay in general. Anti, the non-Malays are into two when you talk about Islam. One is the non-Malays who are enemies of Islam. That, of course, we become very defensive. But for non-Malays or friends of Islam, we have to ensure that they are protected in the administration. Is this sentiment something that's shared in non-Muslim community here? Like, as in, religious plays such a, such a big part. I believe we have to educate them. I believe we need to educate them because you cannot separate religion and God from anything in the world. You must have guidance of God in whatever you do so that you will have what is known as you know to see the good and the bad. And you have to be answerable. If not, it will just be another thing. Everyone will be talking, 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 talking. Everyone will be talking, 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 and you'll just be talking and talking and talking and talking. You know? Of course, it is not an easy task, but there is always, a, I believe, there is, there is an opening for us to actually. Okay, but I, I want to ask you this, because you seem to, you say the Quran is the guiding um, sort of philosophy for the party, but for uh, other Malaysians, the constitution is the guiding philosophy, right? Okay. And that we are all citizens. Right. So the world is not divided into Muslims, uh, you know, Dimmi and, and Zindik. It's not this idea of enemies and friends of Islam, right? Okay. That's from Medina, right? And that period of history. Right. In contemporary Malaysia, okay. how should we be thinking about uh, life, the, the production of what you call an inclusive, fair and just Malaysia? Shouldn't the constitution trump everything? True, agreed. I, I'm not denying the fact that it is the soul. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to religion for an individual, especially when you are a majority, and you know uh, the religion of the of the of the of the of the of the federation is Islam, then you must be guided. You are mandatory to be following that as Muslims. They, that they, it supersedes the constitution as far as the individual. Do you see like the non-Muslim wing of PAS as a wing to try and convince people? that this is a party that they should consider voting for? Okay. Or do you see the non-Muslim wing of PAS as, okay, let's say in Trunganu, especially, uh, you know, since you are the you know, advisor to the MB here, uh, is, you know that, okay, it's either going to be PAS or it's either going to be AMNO. More, more than likely, it's going to be one of these two. Right. And okay. so you have to sort of pick a party okay. and try to find your like, voice okay. within that. Right. Okay. How, how do you see the role of the... Of the non-Muslim wing, and for non-Muslims, why should they pick pass when there are other parties that perhaps offer more overtly religious freedom, um, perhaps secularism, and, and things like that? Okay, you see, for me, it's, this is my my view, uh, Sharad and uh, Russian. There must be a guarantee. There must be something you can fall back when things does not happen. Does the other party have that? That's my question now. You say something you will do, and if you don't do it, what is the fallback? Are you answerable to anybody? So in past, you have to answerable to God. It's very different. You might not do what is expected of Islam, but then you are answerable to God, you know. 
And that is our back. For me, if I want to be, if I want to see a peaceful, inclusive, and a family share, I must have a guarantee that if you don't do it, I've got some people telling me, "Look, guys, this is not what you're supposed to do." And I don't have that in other other party constitution. That may be, but of course there are parties that are also full of Muslims who believe that they uh, hold to their religion. I do want to ask you this, because sometimes the rhetoric is very interesting. It does divide Malaysians, Muslim against non-Muslim. And the, the, the rhetoric is, we will protect your freedoms. And often it's pork eating and it's alcohol and it's th those kinds of things that become markers for freedom. When in fact, the most substantial issues around freedom have to do with, say, freedom of religion and worship, which one expects is universal and therefore should also be applied to Malay Muslims, right? So when you think about um, uh, the rights of non-Muslims, do you extend that idea of fundamental liberties, which is in our constitution, or which is in our, the preamble to uh, the Rukun Negara, to Muslims themselves? True, but the thing, again, as I said, they are not, they're not bound by that. They're not bound by that, you know, they can do a lot of things wrong. And that's what is happening today, we see. If not, this country would have been a fantastic place. If you follow the constitution accordingly, there would not be, I mean, we, we cannot uh, rule out corruption to a certain meaning, but it, it is beyond. I mean, so what are you doing about constitution? It is so clear, but when you talk about here, then you answer up for God. You may not, be, you, I can tell, look guys, you know, I don't know, I, I, it's up to you, but you, you know, it is clear in, in your religion that you ought to be paying a price. So I've got something to talk. If not, nobody can say, how can I uh, say, it? for example, DAP or PKR or MIC, who am I to turn back? Okay, we do need to go for a very quick break. We will bring you the second half of our conversation with Dr. Bala after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan alongside Shrat Kutin. You're listening to the second episode of The East is Green. And here's the second half of our conversation um, with Dr. Bala. So um, when we went to Trangano, Sharad, myself and Alia Zafri, we met up with Dr. Bala Chandragopal Krishnan, who's the Special Advisor of Non-Muslim Affairs to the Trangano MB. Here's the second half of that conversation. Dr. Bala, you uh, seem like a, you know, you're, you're very convicted towards like religion and you talk about holding, um, you know, party people accountable. You talk about how PAS is the only party where you can tell them if you don't do this, you're answerable to God. Yeah. And I think that could be very powerful to some people. But for the rest of pe people who perhaps they look at, you know, the accountability in terms of democratic processes, in terms of the court system, I mean, they're not looking so much from the perspective of religion and all. How do you sell that accountability from the God pers or religious perspective to the vast majority of Malaysians who perhaps don't think of accountability that way? What is the result? We've been talking about it for the last 60 years. What have we seen? I mean, that's basically I see. I mean, everyone talks about it, accountability, everyone talks about the freedom, but what is happening to the country today? So, the, so for me, I think it's time I, I see things differently and work towards a different angle. I mean, if everything is good, I, there's no reason for me to be here, actually, if you ask me. But I don't see it happening. So why? Because I believe there's no accountability in that sense. Everyone thinks they are God, and they just do what they like and go on, and we all have to be at their mercy. 
Even so, for me, it's time, I think, we all have to think out of the box and say, why don't give pass a chance? You know, I mean, what worse could have happened for me? I mean, it's already happened. A lot of worse things have already happened. What worse could have happened? You know? For me, it's very simple. When I was with Grakan, we had a forum, and they were asking about, um, uh, you know, Bella, why all this uh, stuff of gambling and uh, alcohol. I said, you see, I understand. It is gambling and alcohol is something for us to basically an entertainment. It is not something that is going to benefit us in that sense, correct? So I just asked them one question. There were, there were Christians there, there were Buddhists there, there were Muslims. I said, can any one of you bring me a verses of any of your religious books that promotes gambling, then I will call Tuan Guru Yawang and get it open today. Nobody could bring it. So because for me, if the gambling den is closed, how is it going to affect the space for us to grow? How is it going to affect the education of our children? It's not. In fact, we could do better without, if you ask me on that kind of nature. If they say you stop my children from going to school, then it's a different topic altogether. So for me, and for me as a Hindu, I mean, we all know, we are, we are also bound, we also are not, I mean, uh, uh, basically liquor and gambling is not something that is encouraged, or in fact, you can say it is like, you know, it is uh, forbidden. But for me, I believe now, we as minority cannot enforce that law, but pass as majority as the authority to enforce the law for us. I'm looking at that point. I cannot go and close that, uh, say, you know, we are here, but pass as the authority, they can close. So I'm actually thankful for them because they can do something that we cannot do and something that also in line with our religion. So what's our problem? That's, that's, that's my contention, you know? So we have to see that way. We cannot be sitting and talking about the same thing over and over and over. We're talking about the last 60 years. Where is everyone talks about, you know, a, a peaceful Malaysia, you must be fair, you must be, you know, but what is happening? Nobody's being accountable. Just now you talked about, I asked about um, community sentiments, like, are they aligned with yours? And you talked about education and bringing awareness. Is there a strategy here? What are you, is this something that, yeah. Correct, okay. Is this something that you're planning? How? Is there a strategy to educate people yeah, about? Yeah, of course, for me, for me, we'll have to beat them in their own game. And for me, the game, the, the instrument is the religion. Nothing else can actually make them see things in that perspective. I cannot go and bring, of course, every, let me, let me tell this again. Every religion has got a formula for unity. We, Hinduism has got formula, Christianity, but in a majority Muslim state, the majority should rule should lead way to unity, and it's a challenge that I put upon them. You know? So, in that sense, we need to be inside them and talk about it. You know, you cannot, I mean, you're talking about everyone, okay, Islam is fair, yes, but are your actions being fair? Of course, when they say about liquor, I'm not going to, it's not, it's not something that I can judge fairness being closing, because for me, liquor and it's, 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 it's out of the question, it's nothing to do with that, because it is just a piece of entertainment. First of all, um, Christians in their liturgical service, I'm a former Catholic, I'm an atheist, but you know, Christians 
take wine as part of the liturgy. Okay, so there's our call, even there. And then there's this other curious effect, uh, uh, issue, which is that in the Federation of Malaysia, including Sabah and Sarawak, liquor is very much embedded in culture, right? Uh, in fact, we had the Minister of uh, Tourism recently saying he wanted to have a Tuat festival. Because for somebody like him, who is from Sarawak, there is no problem with it. Yes, nobody generally encourages abuse of alcohol. So, so we go back to the question of fundamental liberty. I understand your strategy. It's a minority perspective, right? You're a super mi minority within a state, and you're saying, how can we extract or leverage to get the best out of that situation of being a minority? Right. But in many parts of the country, including the, are different. Yeah, the okay. west coast of the peninsula, yeah. Yeah. In West East Malaysia, not everybody who's a minority, non-Malay, non-Muslim, thinks of themselves as a minority, right? Christian Sarawakians agreed, don't agreed. think of themselves as a minority. Agreed, in agreed. fact, the Dayak Christians are the majority of the that, Sarawak. That's, that, that's what I'm but is, So is, the, if, is, in some ways, your perspective very unique to the East Coast of Malaya? Is you? that where it's coming from? And can you generalize it to the rest no, of the see, country? It's, it's very simple. You see, when we talk about Trungano and Klantan, we are talking about 97% majority. When we go back to them, you see, when we go back to them again, it is again, we see the situation then. If they, are, you know, end of the day, we want to ensure that whatever you do, you do not uh, affect the well-being, the morality of individual race or religion. Simple as that. If you can drink, even liquor for us, you know, that's why we have given license here. You can go and drink, but don't go and create a festa outside there when 97% of them are Muslims. If you are within your group, nobody's going to question you, you know. It is how you look at things. Same thing, same thing as I say, even like uh, when, you, when you segregate the unisex salon, it has a different meaning here. Of course, even, but then people will see it very differently because some people can see it very positively, some people might take it very differently. But end of the day, is that, is that thing going to bring us good or bad? For us, if you ask me, stopping, you can say it's, it's embedded in the culture, yeah, but without that, you can do much, you can do without it as well because it's not going to affect your growth in that sense. So let's look at it in that perspective because if not, then you cannot. We have to see situation. I'm not telling that even in Sarawak, you, you, you stop everything. It's not going to work that way. But what I'm trying to say, where there are, where there are majority Muslims, they must be respected. Where there are majority, that's, that's up to how they look at it. But because religion is very individually based. And it depends on how the majority is. So the dynamics in Dringan and Klantan completely is different from the dynamics in Sabah and Sarawak. You know? But end of the day, will that bring about good things? Or is it going to bring, are they going to have a wife battering in the family? Are they going to just uh, throw away money? Before I actually gone into understanding past and all that, I was a very shallow Hindu as well. I really didn't know about Bhagavad Gita, you know, and then you have Trikural. But after seeing the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the passion for having, I actually started to, you know, take it for myself, study the religion itself. Find out what is Bhagavad Gita, what is Tirumandiram, what is Adi Chudi, and actually, 17 years people were thinking, hey, why are you not a Muslim yet? I said, that is not, actually, I became a better Hindu, you know, in that context. This is me, I'm talking as individual. So I see things very differently, and I want a lot of them to see it differently. 
you know, all the time the, the political thing is about alcohol and gambling. Correct, correct. And in Malaysia, it can get a little bit politicized when in other countries, like let's say certain things in Singapore, if they say don't sell, it's not a political issue. In Malaysia, it can be because of the, the dynamics, correct, right? Correct, and correct. it has been politicized correct, for correct, years. Correct. So moving aside from that, right? Okay, even if we say, you know, banning alcohol is good for you, and it's a, there is an argument there. How then do you convince non-Muslims when we are having overtly racist rhetoric by some past leaders, extreme religious rhetoric by some past leaders. We talk about how, you know, the, if you don't vote for past, you may be going to hell. And I mean, these are, let's be real, these are the TikTok videos and all the things. When we go to the Charamas, this is what's being said. How do you reconcile with that? You see, it's very simple. That message goes for the Muslims, not for the non-Muslims. The non-Muslims just should not hear about it. That's all. Very simple. Every message that say you vote for pass, you don't vote for pass. You know, they would have said in a very different way. Of course, the media could have said in a very different way. They say, if you do good, if you, if you vote for pass and we good, do good things, and then we, you got a place in heaven. For me, I don't care what they talk about, their religion. Again, in this context, you're talking about uh, them and us in two complete silos. Don't you think we are perpetuating the divisions? Because we are saying, it doesn't matter. This is they are. They will tell like in the Acharamas if they say, you know, these guys are going to hell or cafe or whatever. For example, just ignore. But we want to be. Aren't we trying to build bridges? Aren't we trying to not be seen that way? Actually, that's why I said. You see, we have been talking about all this for so long. Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening, Darshan. For me, give them a chance. You see, if the Malays are not united under the religion. We are in trouble. I believe in that. Today, it's all broken up. That's why they feel, they, they, they feel threatened being around us. They say, oh, we are all small, getting smaller, and they come, you know. So we have to ensure in this country, the Malays must be united first under the religion. Because the religion gives us a guarantee of inclusivity, fairness, and justice. They have to be united first. Then only we can actually support them. If not, it's going to be from, from the day we are talking about Malaysia, it is not going good, you know. It's becoming worse and worse and worse. So wh where do you want to draw a line now? That's, that's my question now. Where do you want to draw a line? Are you still going to talk about the same old story and, you know, uh, just fight and fight and fight? Just ignore. Because sometimes it's good to be quiet. In, 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 in action, we have not seen that happening. It's only a lot of political statements. So let it go. That rather, what, la, this flow is useless flow talking like that. It's not going to solve problems. To resolve issues pertaining to religion, it is the only way is being, having a consultative approach. Confrontational approach is never going to solve the problem. So within, within PASS itself, right, has there been any, you talked about consultations and talking about stopping, um, you know, the statements of religious extremism? Yes, 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 yes. You see, it has, it's a lot of it are very political. You know, we know they are talking about politics, we know. Because if you know they are doing it, I would not have been there for 17 years. Do you think I'm, you know, uh, in a situation that I'm at their mercy, they do all that, I'm looking at it? No way. I'm very comfortable with them, Sarah. Really. I'm doing my own thing. I go to the temple, I go and do, the rhythm comes, I go, I, basically nothing. So you, I tell them, you want to empower your religion, that's your right. Don't encourage it ours. Very simple. You want to do anything you want to do, that's your style, that's your belief. 
I don't read, but you leave us our space. But again, as I said, when come to certain things that is not good for the for a system, then I'm in I, I'm in in line with them. Okay, so I want to ask you this because Zakir Naik was yeah. uh, promised, uh, I think, an island to build his institute in in Trungano. Trungano was the one that offered them. Uh, you met with uh, Dr. Zakir Naik. He's very contentious. He's a lightning rod for a lot of. Uh, intense debates in Malaysia about the future of non-Muslims and Muslim relations, right? Why did you meet him, and what came out of that dialogue with him? You see, for me, I've met him about three times, okay? We discussed these issues. We, I did tell him that in, in, in Malaysia is not India. Malaysia, when you are in the public, you have to know what you're supposed to speak. He, he did admit sometimes when you were you you know, you in the mic and you see the crowd, you get excited. It is, it is normal for everyone. I mean, for me, I believe that each one has got their own, own uh, agenda, own identity to certain issues, you know, which only they know and for the benefit of them. For us, it is for us to go and investigate independently, meet him and talk, what is his problem? He might say a lot of things, because for me, he says, he is a student of comparative study religion. He wants to ensure that, you know, he wants to, uh, enforce the, the, the Islamic law, okay, fine. But I say you keep it there. You want to do it, don't do it in the public. Right? If you want to talk about Islam, then you, you talk about Islam. You don't come into talking about other religion. You know, I think you should not be doing that. Uh, you see, we can talk. Whether he's going to listen or not, it's a different story altogether, but at least we can sit and we can talk. And I see that a lot of times, I have earned his respect because after the first meeting, the second meeting was in um, Kota Baru. He invited me to come with the Kelantan government. So the, the function was about 8.30 a.m., p.m. I was a bit late. So it's one of his PA called me, uh, if you come, you come through this door. So the meeting was gone, you were sitting with the Terengganu MB, Kelantan MB and all that. The door, I came. So when I came in, you know, I was actually shocked. He woke up, came to me and gave me a hug there. Actually, you don't need to do that to me. I believe I've earned his respect. I mean, everyone has got their views, everyone has made mistakes, yes, but let's sit and talk. Why say that police, and we go make police report. Every police report we make, you get 20,000 20, students following him. What have you achieved? Actually, if you ignore him, it would be so much. After the police report, the whole world knows Ozaki Naik. And actually, he told me, Sarah, thank, I'm actually thankful for Hendra for promoting me. <laughs> yeah, so, we are running a little bit short on time. Just so yeah, to okay. one last question to yeah. wrap this up. You see, the, the thing is, the country is deeply polarized, right? We, the results of G15 showed us that much. And how do you see PAS trying to bridge the, you know, between the parties? I, I know you say the, some people say the other side also plays into this polarization. And they, but I will ask them that question. Okay. So now as you as a as PAS member, uh, because it seems like PAS is doing more to deepen the polarization rather than to bridge people across party lines? I think it is more on our perception. The very fact that PAS main is to get the Malays united. That's why the Muafakata National came in, Bersatu wanted to come in, Amnu wanted to come in and join the M together, you know, one common goal. Because once this group is united, then the minorities will be more easier to reapproach. The problem is this thing is not happening. And PAS is trying their best to unite them, and everyone has got their own agenda. Do you think it's time to accept that the Malays are not a monolith? They need to be united under one party. Correct. And that Malays have different views of religion Correct. and all these things. Correct. But they have to come to one common goal. 
You can have differences of opinion. Nobody say you should not. But the common goal, are we going to create a militia for all? You get my point? So our term is to make sure the militia are united. And the only way they can be united is bring Islam first. We have been seeing things are not working. You know, everyone is in their own idea. Everyone fighting with each other. Every, so how are we going to do? When, when we join with Amnu, when you say you want to bring Bursat, Amnu say, no way. If Bursat come in, we are out. I mean, then nobody has a political will for change, you know. Everyone is in their own ego. The problem it is, all the leaders are now full of egos. Nobody wants to sit down, come down to earth and say, yeah, time is time, put everything, let's work. Because, end of the day, as promised in most religions, the most great peace will come. It's either all the leaders sitting and consulting and resolving it, or they fight until they cannot fight anymore. But the most great peace will definitely come. <laughs> that's, that's basically how it is. So that is my contention. We will work and work and work. One day it's going to happen. But whether it is going to be now or not, it all depends on how we are going to see it. That's basically how it is. Dr. Yeah. Bala, thank you so much for talking to us today. It is, it is a real pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. I feel really good because I think after the foils, I'm really speaking my, my mind out. <laughs> that was Dr. Bala Chandra Gopal Krishnan, who was the Special Advisor of Non-Muslim Affairs to the Tranganu MB. So, Sharad, rather fascinating um, conversation we had with Dr. Bala, isn't it? It was a very robust conversation as well. Yeah, he's a man who's very passionate about uh, his role and mm -hmm. what he understands to be the way we need to think about issues regarding uh, related to politics, especially as past becomes um, an important player. So I think the two things that struck me, one is his uh, openness to dialogue, regardless of, you know, who is in the room. I think, you know, Zakir Naik becomes, for many people, a, a kind of red line. They don't want to cross that. That's one thing. I think the other thing is that I think his thinking about these issues comes out of a of a peculiar situation, right? The idea of being kind of a super minority, uh, which is something that's not replicated across the country. So, yeah, very unique experience, but through which he's been very thoughtful. Absolutely. Um, and I think throughout the interview, he repeatedly stressed dialogue. You know, he kept stressing dialogue, the importance of people having dialogue um, to resolve some of the polarization that we see in the country. And, and you're right that, you know, he comes from a very unique place where, you know, in Tranganu and Kelantan, he, he brings this up in, in the interview as well. Um, you know, it's, it's not just a minority as like, you know, from a, from a national level or even from Selangor where perhaps, you know, we, the non-Muslims, um, you know, if you're looking at Malays and Chinese make up 7% to 20% and, and so on and so forth. There it is. Indians, for example, is like... 0.5%, 0.3%, right? That's why I asked Dr. Bala, like, how he views the non-Muslim wing, right? Is it something, um, a, a wing to try and convince non-Muslims to join the party? Or is it there so that non-Muslims in Kelantan and Tranganu can, you know, fully accepting um, if they choose to do so that, you know, it is going to be either PAS or perhaps AMNO that governs these states, at least in, in the, the current juncture, um, or at least that's how it's been for the longest time. So if these are your only options, how then do we as super minorities 
you know, sort of break through and, and, and find representation and, and, you know, sort of find our voice. Yeah, you know, prison representa- representation, of course, uh, you know, goes beyond race. Mm-hmm. Um, in Trigana, we, uh, we stumble upon the fact that they have uh, four non-elected members of the assembly, right? They, they have a provision for that. At the moment, only one person, that actually is from past, but it's a woman. So in a male-dominated assembly, you can have, uh, or they, there's a need to find women's representation. So uh, because it goes back to a challenge one can make towards past, like why didn't Mm -hmm. you put enough uh, women candidates uh, and and such, right? But the point is, that's a provision that's available there. It's probably not something that's necessary on a national level, but... uh, I, I, and in some ways, the, I think the upper house, the Dewan Negara, is supposed to pr- provide some sort of a corrective. But um, Trungano and, and PAS, under its leadership, have been thinking about these issues. So, yeah, it's, it, it remains a place where I think some innovation with regard to minority representation is taking place. What do you think of, you know, because another thing that his idea of why he says that, you know, I can work with PAS or I should try, um, he's trying to convince people to try, give the past experiment a try, right? And he says it's, you know, because it's the only party that is so, you know, has so much conviction towards their religion that he can use the, the almighty um, to keep them accountable. Um, you know, because he, he kept stressing that, right? Um, you know, it's the only party where I can say that if you don't do your work and if you don't push forth certain policies that you say you're going to do, then you are answerable to God. What do you think of that angle? Yeah, he did uh, make uh, those kind of arguments, I remember. Though, I mean, personally, um, I'm not so sure, Dash, about where... Uh, it, this is just kind of a, kind of a rhetorical strategy mm-hmm. on his part, because we know that you know um, religion is one thing, but uh, you know deploying religion for political power, and then once you capture the state, uh, something else kicks in, and, and it's not all about religion. It's it's a lot about the way you distribute uh, largesse and and so on and so forth, right? So um, I, I think. Because he, again, comes from a position of being a super minority, he's thinking, what leverage can I find? Mm-hmm. Of course, one can say that, well, if you worked with Barisan National, for instance, with, and its component parties that already have uh, representation from uh, ethnic minority uh, groups, then then you have a very different dynamic. Why he chose Passover, Amno, maybe because he feels that Amno is driven by, not necessarily by values, but by, you know, an ethno-nationalist considerations and a naked uh, want a desire for power right. so yeah I mean is, is that not true also of past I'm not sure but that's the argument he's trying to make right absolutely and don't you also think Sharad when a lot of times right um, whether we look at our the way certain conversations sort of devolve right um, when we talk about um, and, and a lot of this this conversation that we had, Dr. Bala, um, when they try to, you know, talk about freedoms and, and whatnot, it becomes this, you know, alcohol, um, what food you can eat. And, and all of this is, it's it should be discussed as well. But what I'm coming at is it, in Malaysia, it becomes like this whole, rather than a, a discussion, um, you know, about public health. This is a public health issue, let's say alcohol, let's say gambling. And it should be seen as that. It should be debated, you know, whether it's how much restrictions and, and so on and so forth. But I feel that in other countries, it 
it's debated through that lens. And in here, it always devolves into the issues of um, non-Muslims versus Muslims. That's the framing. And then fundamental liberties. How do, how do you see that? You're right. There's a tendency to make these uh, issues of morality, one, primarily. The, the other thing, of course, is that there's a skirting around the idea of fundamental liberties, especially for Muslims. So the, uh, the dividing line is Muslims against non-Muslims, when in fact there is uh, diversity within the Muslim community. That's rarely ever acknowledged. And so so the assumption is that the state, uh, through uh, in league with the political party, can impose its will on the Muslim population in the way that they would never suggest that for the non-Muslim population, except in this regard. Once you are the dominant force, then uh, you know the expectation is some sort of general submission to the dominant, right? So it's majoritarianism. So you know we get the mix. Basically, we have majoritarianism as the underlying logic, and everything is built around it, whether it's ethno-nationalism or it's this kind of religiously uh, uh, or a kind of religious idiom in politics. Right. I, ex absolutely. Because I think there is this tendency to frame everything or large majority of the issues as uh, religious um, and, and two groups in this country, as if there's only two groups, you know, Muslims on one side, non-Muslims on the other side, which I feel it's very dangerous as a way to look at politics. I mean, politics is always uh, contrasting ideas and, and so on and so forth. There's always a versus there if you wanted to frame it that way. But that's what one of the th reasons we went on this trip. And that's some, some of the questions I feel we kept asking a lot of people, even in our conversation with Abim, is that the Muslim community is not a monolith. They are not a block of people who thinks the same way. They have different opinions and, and you know, different political opinions, um, different is uh, opinions about um, whether it's, uh, it comes to social issues, whether it comes to economic issues, and, and so on and so forth. And I think by putting the sort of framing that way, you deepen the polarization because you make it all about as if there's two blocks and they are, you know, against each other. Yeah, it's also a deeply uh, peninsula-centric conversation, mm -hmm. I think, at this point. And, you know, I think um, in our conversations with him, we did talk about Sabah and Sarawak. Very I mean, it's, it's where the past has the least representation. It, at presence is almost negligible in the state of Sarawak um, and, and Sabah. So, you know, and, and there, the both territories and leaders of both uh, uh, all parties in those territories push back on Islamization, uh, push back on uh, the use of religion in these ways, uh, the idea of of dominance that it characterizes uh, much of the peninsula discourse. So, how do you keep the federation together, and how do you aspire for federal leadership uh, if you don't make sense of what Sabah and Sarawak bring to the table, or make uh, or demand uh, you know, in terms of the character of the federation? Alright, so that about wraps up the second episode of The East is Green. Next week, we will dive deep into political party rivalries in the East Coast. So if you missed any part of this episode, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You've been listening to The East is Green on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.